This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Convictions, market analysis and asset allocation views. Hello, welcome to everyone for this um, Blue Conviction conversation. Uh, Jean-Jacques Barbier is here. I'm very happy uh, to be with you. I first hope uh, that you're all safe uh, and in good health. Uh, in Paris, things uh, are progressing in the right direction on the front uh, of the virus. We do hope also uh, that at European level, they're progressing uh, on the right direction uh, when it comes uh, to uh, economics uh, and notably to the European answer uh, to the COVID crisis. And this is uh, the uh, ambition we have uh, for us all today. Uh, it's to uh, discuss where we are uh, in terms of European answer uh, to the crisis. Uh, and so we're going to focus our conversation uh, on the uh, ECB Eurogroup uh, Rescue Package, uh, as we entitled this conversation, uh, with uh, the ambition uh, to explain in detail where the EU is. Uh, probably uh, always more complicated to understand what the European Union and the ECB are doing uh, than the Fed uh, and the U.S. Treasury. Uh, but uh, we have the strong conviction at Amundi uh, that uh, we can make a very strong comparison between the two and that so far the European uh, efforts uh, are almost comparable. So to discuss that, uh, I'm today uh, with uh, Eric Brard, uh, the CIO uh, of our fixed income platform, uh, and uh, with uh, Pierre Blanchet, who has the nice title to be our head of investment intelligence. Uh, so I'm going to start uh, with the head of intelligence because it's the nicest title that you can have in a company, Pierre. Uh, in recent week, we've seen a lot coming from the fiscal side in Europe. Um, we've, just, we've seen a number of things that have been done at the national level. Huh? Uh, we uh, have seen uh, yesterday uh, the third, uh, I would say, a fiscal package uh, by the French government. Uh, Germany uh, has uh, decided also to put significant amounts uh, on the table. Uh, so can you tell us how you assess uh, the recent evolutions, uh, both at, uh, I would say, the European level and uh, at the national level? Pierre. Thank you, Jean-Jacques, and thanks for your comments on this beautiful title that I didn't choose. But anyway, um, so for the question, obviously, uh, as you said, there are two levers. One is uh, the national and the European level. Uh, I'll quickly go to the national level and then we go to to the core of the topic, which is Europe. Uh, there's been a lot of announcements uh, in the recent weeks indeed. And uh, for France, for instance, there was the third supplementary budget, um, it, which is now 136 billion, for instance, uh, 6% of GDP. And, and the week before, we had Germany announcing a 130 billion uh, plan. So there's a lot of confusion, I guess, in what those plans are about. And let me focus on this first. Um, these plans actually are big because uh, the answer to the COVID uh, crisis has to be big. It's unprecedented uh, shock we are facing today, uh, obviously in terms of GDP numbers, but potentially uh, in terms of job losses uh, in the years ahead and in some cases for industries that could uh, find it difficult actually to come back uh, uh, in the next uh, decade or so. So these are big plans uh, that are consistent with actually first the size of uh, the issue. Uh, the, uh, the second point is that uh, the fiscal response is actually uh, in three layers. And there's usually confusion about those three because they don't have the same implication for public finance. You first have uh, emergency and support plans. So these plans are designed to support sectors and businesses, which would have collapsed otherwise. 
uh, it's, uh, for instance, uh, health infrastructure, but also tourism or the airline industry. And this is the bulk of the announcements that we see from national governments. It's true across Europe, actually. And these are actually not stimulus packages. These are, these are emergency and support plans. Then you have the state-guaranteed schemes, uh, which in France is called the PGE. Um, we have a similar plan in Germany or Italy. These are very big plans in numbers, sometimes 30 to 40% of GDP. Uh, and these, these plans are, are, are very much uh, designed uh, for banks to, to, to be the main conduit, actually, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, support for co companies to avoid a solvency crisis. And we don't know, actually, the costs uh, of those schemes. The fiscal cost will be known probably in 18 to 24 months from now. And these are not fiscal spending. These are actually uh, guarantees. And then you have uh, a stimulus package, stimulus measures, which is what we want to talk about now in Europe. And they are designed to boost actually the economic recovery to make sure that the economy is back on track as quickly as possible and that certain sectors can and households can, uh, can rebound. Uh, and this is uh, actually today's topic. Uh, and the answer are, are fairly unclear to a very large extent. Uh, the first two, emergency support and state guarantees, are probably big enough. Uh, the number three, stimulus measures, are uncertain. And the main reason is because um, most countries in Europe are constrained on their public finance. They already have a level of debt, of public debt, that is uh, uh, fairly uh, significant, uh, for the most part above 100% of GDP, and therefore there's a need of a third party and uh, the European Recovery Plan and the European Mechanism. And at this stage, uh, what we can say is that the European Recovery Plan, actually a next generation EU, as it's called, um, it, it's not a stimulus package. It's a plan that is designed to avoid the fragmentation of the uh, European Union. It's an investment plan uh, over several years, uh, which is very important uh, because it is uh, in the way it's designed. It, it's uh, basically a new definition of new instruments for the European Union with uh, specific resources. Um, but uh, first of all, it's not a stimulus plan. And second, it's not the plan which is going to be implemented uh, in the near future. And uh, there are still uncertainty on on what should be the plan itself. However, as you mentioned, I think you were quite hopeful that Europe uh, find its way out. Uh, there is no doubt that uh, there's going to be um, a solution to this. Uh, the Eurogroup uh, yesterday confirmed that uh, uh, the plan at the EU level was a good thing, that uh, the Euro area countries were keen on, on actually uh, adjusting to this and uh, and supporting it to, to obviously to a large extent. But uh, it's very much for next week, actually, the 18th and 19th uh, European summit uh, to decide. So that's where we are on the plan today, Jean-Jacques. Well, thanks, Jan. And I think you, you mentioned something that, that is very important, uh, which is a, a comment we often see uh, at the moment uh, is that the COVID crisis uh, will probably uh, deepen uh, the differences uh, in terms of economic performances between the different countries of Europe and Eurozone in, in particular. Uh, and uh, in the short term, uh, it's probably uh, quite true when you see uh, already uh, the difference uh, of forecasts uh, in terms uh, of growth figure between the different countries. But what is interesting 
interesting is that uh, the uh, EU investment plan that you mentioned uh, is exactly about that. Is uh, It's about how to make sure that even if this effect will happen in the short term, in mid-term, uh, you recreate uh, potential conditions uh, of uh, convergence uh, between uh, the European uh, economies, uh, which is, of course, uh, critical uh, for the stability uh, of the eurozone. Um, maybe on the central bank front, uh, so uh, this week uh, we had a very uh, dovish, dovish message uh, from uh, the Fed. Uh, the ECB announced a massive uh, increase uh, in the size uh, of uh, its uh, PEPP. Uh, so, uh, what do you think uh, basically uh, the, uh, of the ECB uh, policy so far, which is uh, maybe a way too broad general question? Uh, and what do you think uh, the ECB can continue to do afterwards? To limit uh, the potential uh, fragmentation, the, the potential fragmentation uh, of the European economies. Yeah, it, it's true. The ECB has been key uh, throughout this crisis. It's uh, among the institutions of Europe. It's been uh, very much uh, the key, the key pillar on which uh, countries and, and most politicians could rely on. And there's a limit to this, but. Uh, They've done a lot. So what's been announced uh, uh, last week is uh, quite important. There were three important announcements, I think. First is, as you mentioned, the expansion, the increase of the PEPP uh, by 600 billion, which therefore will be 1.3 billion euros. Also an extension of the horizon uh, until the end of June 2020 for this program and the reinvestment of principles and coupons to the end of 22. So the, the overall size of uh, of the ACB asset purchase program um, answered the question and the doubt of the market. Actually, the market was expecting an additional 500 billion, and actually yeah, the ACB came back with a 600 billion. And this package is broadly consistent, actually, with uh, the announcements from the government so far at the various deficits that have been announced across the euro area. Uh, in total, if you add up the APP, which is the QE program, and the PEPP for the ECB, you end up with uh, 1.7 trillion euros, which is roughly 17% of the Eurozone GDP. So that's significant. But obviously, uh, we tend to compare with the Fed. And if you do the same analysis for the Fed, you end up with a much bigger number of 27% of GDP. So in the case of the ECB, it's smaller. And not only it's smaller, but it's also uh, um, with different constraints. However, the ECB, as you know, is using another tool, which is TLTROs, uh, which are very powerful tools in order to boost, actually, um, credit supply across the euro area. But also, uh, and not to say the least, uh, interest rates are negative in the euro area, as you know, which is uh, which has an equivalent actually in terms of QE. So, our conclusion at this stage is that uh, the ECB was there with the right announcement and the right size. Uh, the main issue now is very much flexibility, and um, Christine Lagarde reiterated that that uh, PEPP is flexible in three dimensions: time, instruments, and jurisdictions. But we know that actually there are constraints there. It is difficult for the ECB to, to go further down the risk curve. Today, the Fed is basically buying falling angel, and I guess Eric will talk about it later. Uh, it's not possible for the ECB at this stage, at least. And also, and more importantly, uh, the topic of the deviation from the capital key, uh, which is a very important feature of uh, the ECB uh, purchase programs, which has been, as you know, um, uh, the core of the debate around the Constitutional Court of, of Germany. So um, there are still constraints on the ECB. The, the, the size is right, but uh, some of the constraints are there. So what can we expect next? For the Fed, 
probably the Fed will keep on excluding negative interest rates. I think it doesn't really fit with their own uh, the structure of uh, the monetary market, but uh, we'll see. Uh, what probably will happen is that they will uh, start uh, yield curve control on the front end of the curve mixed with uh, quantitative easing on the long end. So if you do both things, you basically anchor down expectations as far as uh, forward rates are concerned and you avoid either a steepening or a parachute of the curve. So basically you are you're avoiding the bond market to undermine the recovery. Uh, on the ECB side, we should expect probably an increase of the PEP later this year, or probably 300 billion. That's what uh, some of the assumptions we have, um, because uh, on a monthly basis, uh, the, the, the purchases are, are above actually uh, the targets. So um, that's that's one thing. And second thing, you might have an expansion in terms of instruments um, that uh, should have been uh, dis- discussed already at the, at the Governing Council and might be announced in September. So these are the, the, the main points I think we can expect. Well, thank you very much, Pierre. Uh, Eric, uh, t- turning to you now, um, because uh, we're three months uh, that we've been uh, into uh, the crisis. Uh, we've seen, uh, I would say, a strong evolution in these three months uh, on the, the fixed income market conditions in the euro area. Uh, what is your assessment of the situation at the moment, uh, generally speaking, with maybe uh, a little focus uh, on liquidity in particular? Uh, this has been uh, one of the biggest stress to have experienced uh, in the last month. So what is, in broad terms, uh, your assessment uh, of uh, the market conditions in the euro area at the moment? Yes, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> but frankly speaking, uh, uh, the situation in terms of uh, liquidity uh, uh, valuation in the different market segments is way better than it was at the, you know, at the worst moments in the crisis, meaning uh, mid, uh, mid-March. But uh, uh, it would be a pity not to see, you know, that reaction taking into account, you know, the strength of the uh, the, the the reaction and the uh, the decision made by the governments and, uh, and central banks. So very obviously, we had uh, uh, we, we we have seen a tightening in uh, in spreads uh, that has been quite significant, whether on the sovereign side or the or, or the credit side. Uh, the uh, Average spread on the credit market is now closer to uh, 130, 140, uh, 140 uh, basis points uh, after, you know, uh, 250 at the at, at the top. So the situation is better. But um, uh, we also have to mention that uh, um, uh, we are probably not out of the woods in terms of liquidity, for instance. Uh, even though the even though the, the, the challenges we are facing are, are a bit different, for instance. This is clearly more problematic to buy uh, and find uh, uh, investments in the in the current market than to sell. While we had clearly uh, uh, the opposite in uh, March, April, uh, so so it's more positive. But this is still, you know, an issue in terms of uh, liquidity. So the I would say that the regime, the liquidity regime, uh, is uh, is much better, but not you know uh, getting back to a, a full normal uh, normal regime. Uh, but the improvement is uh, obviously uh, is obviously here, despite a very high level of uh, of uh, issuance. Clearly, we will we will have uh, a very strong close uh, in the sovereign space in terms of uh, in terms of issuance. So the, the primary market is going to be uh, obviously very very active, taking into account you know the the, the needs huh, in terms of uh, deficits for the eurozone uh, going forward. 
um, with uh, with uh, one trillion deficit uh, uh, for uh, you know at the at the horizon when compared to to last year deficit it makes a lot of uh, of needs. Uh, on credit, it is exactly the same. We have already reached, uh, or, or we are beyond 300 billion of uh, new issuance in the uh, high grade, uh, in the high grade uh, uh, credit markets. With uh, uh, an evolution, the market is, is uh, clearly driven by corporate. I think that uh, the bulk of the crisis probably has been on the on, on the uh, dislocation of the, the ecosystem for the funding of corporates. Uh, over the past uh, the past few months, today, uh, since the beginning of this year, uh, more than two thirds of the issuance is uh, is coming from the corporates, uh, where it was more like half when compared to the financial issuance uh, last year. So issuance is heavy, but uh, uh, the context of a purchasing program and the the the, the QE, the, the presence of a of a central bank. Uh, allows uh, the market to uh, to uh, to accommodate uh, with that. Um, it has to be said that uh, the market reaction and the, the, the pace of this market reaction uh, clearly looks like the market has uh, uh, more like a, a V-shaped recovery in mind. It, it remains to be uh, to be uh, demonstrated that we actually have a V-shape. Uh, recovery going forward for the for for the eurozone, but all in all, a better situation. Okay, thanks, Eric. And uh, so basically, that's your assessment of the situation uh, so far. Uh, Pierre uh, has uh, given us uh, given us uh, some uh, examples uh, and some insights uh, what to uh, be expected uh, following the announcements, notably the ones made uh, by the different member states and also at the, at the Commission level. Uh, basically, uh, how do you think uh, uh, your clients, uh, yourself, income investor, uh, can benefit uh, from the plan that has been put uh, on the table? Uh, so basically, uh, how do you play uh, already or how do you intend to play uh, I would say a discard uh, going forward in your portfolios. I think that there are probably a couple of uh, of ideas ideas here. Uh, the first element is that this is not only the recovery plan. This is a combination of uh, recovery plans and support plans and uh, ECB and government action, which is going to uh, to uh, to be at. Uh, you know, um, uh, to be working, you know, uh, in the coming in the coming months. I'm tempted to say, first of all, uh, let's look at uh, at this again. Uh, a very powerful action on the central bank uh, front. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, saying, "Don't even uh, we don't even think about thinking raising interest rates." I would tempted to say, "Okay, uh, the message is is clear. Don't even think." About thinking, selling uh, the core market or the treasury markets. So, uh, so that's the first, uh, the first conclusion. We are in an environment where uh, none of the uh, uh, of these uh, of our economies, and frankly, this is a global, uh, uh, a, a global topic, whether in Japan, whether in the U.S., whether in the eurozone, uh, can afford um, a, a significant increase uh, in rates, which means that. Uh, uh, the bond markets will uh, will uh, will remain uh, very strongly supported. Uh, this uh, is the, probably the first conclusion. We could have, you know, some uh, further consideration. Probably there is some room uh, for uh, some steepening in the in the curve. 
as uh, it is uh, 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 very clear on the short end that the, the, the action will be the most powerful, but still also on the long end. The, the so-called yield curve control uh, is, a, is a topic uh, for debate in the, in the current conditions, but if you take, you know, the global picture, I would, I would be tempted to say that overall, the markets, the fixed income markets and the, 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 the treasury market clearly are under the guardianship of central banks. So, so this is a very strong uh, uh, impact on the, on the market. Second, on the credit side, maybe to, uh, uh, as opposed to the, to the sovereign side, strong support also. But here we have more questions about the profile of the recovery and the potential wave of default that uh, could come later on. If we were to, uh, uh, if you look at the, the previous uh, uh, episodes of uh, recessions uh, uh, in the in the market, the figures that we have in terms of uh, GDP uh, call for a wave of corporate defaults uh, up to probably uh, eight, ten percent uh, or beyond. We have not seen that yet, so meaning that uh, compared to this uh, uh, previous episode, we are not probably not out of the woods yet, uh, particularly if you take into account that the market structure has changed. For instance, in the IG space, half of the market is in the triple B, uh, triple B area. So the question, we touched that uh, uh, before, of uh, fallen, fallen angels, for instance, uh, is, uh, is uh, going to be a, a very important question. Uh, which means that um, obviously uh, we are going to face more uncertainty on this uh, on this uh, part on this side of the market, but also uh, a, a lot of opportunities. I would I would say that uh, uh, we will need to be very careful in terms of uh, the, the, the selection of these opportunities going forward. Um, uh, but clearly, so in a nutshell, we are not going to advise investors to go short the market overall, so short interest rates, and we are certainly going to, uh, to, to advise to carefully select sectors and issuers. Okay, thanks, Eric. And maybe at some point in time, we can discuss a little bit more on the sectors or how do you see, I would say, the green part of the recovery plan affecting some sectors and is there, are there specific things to be played also on the green side of the, of the equation? But maybe coming back to you, you have explained to us uh, I would say the plans that are on the table at the moment. Um, what are for you the short and long term consequences uh, of the entanglement of monetary and budget uh, policies? Uh, because uh, it's quite striking that at the moment uh, nobody cares anymore about deficits, apparently. Uh, but uh, at some point in time, the question may come back. So, how do you see uh, the long term consequences? These are I would say questions that we try to touch base uh, in our day after uh, series of papers. Notably, uh, we are anticipating that at some point in time, there must be some kind of uh, quantic uh, moment uh, in the theory of monetary policy uh, to address the situation afterwards. But how do you see uh, the long-term consequences? Yes. So if we look at... Um uh, where we come from, basically, what monetary policy is supposed to do, what fiscal policy is supposed to do, at least in, in the textbooks. Um, you could tell that monetary policy is uh, can be implemented in a timely and technocratic manner. Basically, it's a short-term fix 
before fiscal comes in and, and support the economy to make it back on track. So that's, that's the structural and the, the intellectual framework we're in. Um, and, and therefore, on short term, as we see today, the, the consequences of those two happening together are actually uh, limited in terms of in the risk for independence. On the flip side, actually, they are very positive outcome because it avoids the collapse of the economy, if you will, and the financial system. So this entanglement of monetary and budget policy short term is a positive. The problem is more on the long term, because if monetary policy becomes a condition of fiscal policy, or if, for instance, uh, states uh, ask uh, and can only do things if it's agreed by the central banks on the other way around, then you have a, a mix of uh, what we could call a mix of, of balance sheet. Basically, you end up with having uh, something which is so linked that uh, the central bank loses its independence. And you talk about uh, fiscalization of monetary policy and, and the other way around. And that's a risk because there's a risk around the credibility of the central bank itself in order to basically uh, withdraw money uh, uh, if and when inflation is picking up. But also a risk of the central banks versus the markets uh, because markets are always asking for more, I would say, and, uh, and central banks might disappoint. And if they do, then uh, it creates some uh, big volatility in the marketplace. So on the long term, we should stay vigilant um, uh, because this link uh, between uh, fiscal and monetary can be dangerous. I think in the case of Europe, uh, this is where the EU recovery plan is so important. Uh, and it's so important because if uh, uh, you don't have a European recovery plan, you'll see in a couple of years a significant divergence, actually, of economic dynamic just because uh, public finance will be very, very imbalanced. You will have countries with enormous uh, debt to GDP and countries with surpluses. And actually, uh, that would undermine uh, the growth of those that have uh, piled too much debt even if it's uh, sitting at the ECB balance sheet. And surpluses country actually might face a collapse in in demand, uh, namely Germany, for instance. So it's not optimal for them as well. So the interlink between fiscal and monetary uh, is super important. And in the case of Europe, it, it relies actually on a, on a European plan, whether it's a European recovery plan or any other form. You need some form, actually, of, uh, of uh, transfer and, and avoiding uh, the fragmentation around debt that I mentioned. Um, it would be way easier, actually, for the ECB as well, um, because the ECB uh, would be able to buy an instrument, which is uh, uh, indirectly issued by, by the, the various parts of the euro area, or at least on behalf of the European Union, and that would uh, avoid the issues we mentioned before. Uh, around capital key and so on and so forth. So to answer your question, short term, uh, the link between monetary and, and fiscal is a good thing. Long term, if it's done under a very imbalanced framework, as is the case today in Europe, it is dangerous. Okay, sir. Sir, sir. quite clear conviction. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, in that context, uh, Eric, uh, from uh, I would say the, the fixed income investors' perspective. Uh, so we see, uh, and you've mentioned that, uh, based on the level of uh, issuances that are record high in the market, uh, an explosion uh, of debt uh, in the public sector. Uh, we see an explosion uh, of debt in the private sector. Um, you mentioned that there might be uh, there are some opportunities there, but globally speaking, do you think that uh, the markets are correctly pricing uh, the risk uh, of too much debt into the system? Uh, and within that uh, general uh, framework, uh, what are the opportunities you see uh, on your side? 
the question of valuation and uh, the, the, the correct pricing, uh, uh, the easy answer would be to say, okay, the market is always correctly pricing, even though the market has uh, uh, the possibility to change its mind. I think that it depends on the on the on the on the framework. By the pre-crisis standards, probably pricing are not correct at the moment uh, because uh, because the recovery has been strong, clearly. But are we? Uh, in this uh, in this standard, because we are post crisis, so we are in a different environment. We have obviously more debt, more leverage, um, potentially. Uh, uh, I would say uh, the, the 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 profile of a GDP, the, the recovery in GDP is uh, is still a very uh, uh, uncertain. Uh, but we also have a buyer of last resort, a liquidity provider for banks. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and a lot of support for the, for the market. Uh, what I think is, uh, uh, the situation, um, we're going to switch probably from, uh, uh, I would say, in terms of environment, from a systemic type of environment that was, uh, the environment during the, the, the bulk of the crisis, which is a, a high volatility environment, but also a high correlation across segments, sectors, or even names environment. Uh, to a more specific uh, type of uh, environment, meaning with uh, potentially lower volatility, even though this uh, may be uh, debated, but much lower correlations, um, because not all the sectors, not all the, the names are going to react exactly the, the, the same way, and the impact will be uh, uh, different from, a, from a, a segment to another, which means, in fact, two things, a, a wider set of opportunities, but also more difficult to catch these opportunities, uh, um, and a very credit-intensive uh, environment for portfolio managers and, and investors. So uh, um, we, we will also have to assess new new risks. Um, for instance, in the sovereign space, huh? uh, for Europe, the case of Italy, what is going to be uh, uh, the, the, the high valuation for uh, for the Italian VTPs? What are the risks or probability of a downgrade uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, the Italian debt that would uh, take Italian debt below investment debt. So uh, these are uh, question marks that we need to carefully uh, to carefully uh, address. Okay, and maybe last question to you, Eric Bertrand. So where are you long? Where are you short at the moment uh, in your portfolios? Uh, and maybe uh, the question I was raising before, uh, how do you see uh, the uh, evolution, uh, uh, I would say, uh, of the green shift income market uh, at European level? Because uh, you're one of the biggest uh, investors uh, in that field. Uh, what do you expect uh, for this market uh, in, uh, the coming, uh, in the coming months and years? Uh, to take the second question, the second aspect first, maybe... Uh, uh, I think that everybody understands that there are, there are two, maybe, maybe this is a sequence, by the way, uh, for the economies and the market. Uh, we have to support economies and markets in the first, uh, uh, in the first instance, in the first uh, uh, sequence. And also, we need to put uh, the tools and instruments to uh, uh, help to recover uh, later on. So, in my view, the recovery, if we were, for instance, to discuss, should we have sort of a Marshall plan for uh, for our economies at the moment, I'm pretty convinced that uh, a Marshall plan uh, of uh, uh, at the moment would necessarily be a green plan. So so uh, because it's all about investments and it's about investments in the uh, in tomorrow's infrastructures. So I'm not we're not going to elaborate too 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 much. Uh, uh, this is not necessarily the good uh, call for that, but clearly uh, this is the right direction. So obviously. 
paying attention and, and, and investing in, uh, in green um, uh, strategies is going to be one of the keys to uh, navigate you know, uh, tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's market. Second, regarding your key convictions and positions, um, but as I was mentioning previously, uh, uh, this is not the right moment to aggressively short the, the market, even in the low rate environment. So we will uh, keep, you know, uh, uh, long position, including, uh, I would say, the very rare, in fact, safe events, meaning uh, we keep a long uh, bias toward U.S. treasuries and the, 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 the core markets in, uh, in Europe. This is certainly uh, not the moment to give up on cash because cash uh, is uh, one way to uh, remain uh, flexible uh, and to uh, keep our headroom in order to manage on a tactical as well as strategic basis our portfolio. So, uh, so we have to uh, make sure and manage to keep cash at high levels in the portfolio while still uh, being flexible and invest in the riskier uh, part of the market. And we do it in the credit markets. Uh, we obviously have, uh, have a, a more attractive condition in the IG market uh, than we, we had before the crisis, even though this is more difficult. So all the sectors that are obviously uh, hit first by the, uh, the impact of the, the, the COVID crisis, we have to be, uh, to be very cautious. But even in these sectors, uh, uh, there are, there are uh, some opportunities on, on some names. And we keep an eye in terms of uh, diversification uh, in the high yield space uh, or even in the emerging market uh, space because here also there are opportunities. But uh, again, in this environment I was mentioning before, which is more, more about specific and does uh, require uh, high uh, selectivity in terms of uh, names. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Eric, for these uh, strong convictions. Uh, you were referring to the, the, the Marshall Plan. I think Marshall, uh, when he initiated the plan, was saying that the U.S. should, whatever they were able to, or it was not whatever it takes, but it was already uh, a little flavor of what we're living at the, at the moment. So we'll see uh, if a green Marshall Plan will be uh, implemented at European level uh, in the future. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for this uh, conversation, uh, from your uh, insight uh, and uh, your uh, input. Meanwhile, keep safe. Bye-bye. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors, as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.